If you could turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, The scripture reading is verse 1 through 5. And let's all stand in honor of reading God's word. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. went forth. And it was carried by the apostles. It was uh, written down to preserve that truth, this truth of the gospel. It was passed on um, through each generation of disciples, uh, really passed down through the centuries, so that even today we benefit from the good news of the gospel. And you know this message. The good news of the gospel is that we are all sinful people. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And and that part of it, you don't have to work real hard to to show. Uh, The world is broken. Uh, We are broken individuals. And apart from God's work in us, we are going to live as rebels against him. Um, we, We are not going to submit ourselves to his will. That's not how we are naturally inclined Um, But the good news, the good news of this message is that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come and to pay for our debt. And so he came and he lived a perfect life. You guys know this message. He came, he lived a perfect life, um, showing us what grace and truth is, revealing God's will and, and God's character to us. And then he died in our place paid our debt on the cross, and then rose again on the third day. And so we have this good news of the gospel, and this has been carried on from generation to generation, that God loves the world so much that he sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior, his only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the message that Paul was entrusted with. And that is the message that Paul was willing to go to incredible lengths to carry out this this treasure that was entrusted to him. So Paul, as you go through the New Testament, you find out Paul went on three major missionary journeys where he traveled all around the Mediterranean, that part of the world, the Roman Empire, in a time period when travel was difficult and dangerous. um, He spent much of his time doing this. Um, Paul wrote more than a dozen books of the New Testament, letters 
that we're mostly concerned with helping the church preserve the message of the gospel so that it would continue to go forth, that it would not be corrupted in any way, but that it would be clear and continue to go forth. And Paul just pours his life out for this message to ensure that the gospel continues forth. Um, Our passage today we're going to be looking at is 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5 that, that Dylan read for us. Um, It is one of many passages that explain why Paul was so intent on carrying this message forth, why he was not content to just live the way a normal person would, but to to engage in this in this way. So um, let me just kind of recap. Um, This is the third in a three-week series, okay? So I've had these three weeks that I've gotten to preach, and... um, The first week we talked about, really over the course of this, we're talking about two major metaphors for what our relationship is to God. And so the first is this idea of slaves, and the second is stewards. So um, two weeks ago we talked about um, the idea of being slaves, and I made a side comment. Do you ever make a comment and you're like, oh, how do I pull it back, but it's too late and whatever? Um, I I made a comment that uh, we have the great privilege of not living in a time period that has slavery. We don't have slaves the way they did back in ancient Rome. We don't have slaves the way um, early colonial America did. Uh, the reality is that's not entirely true, and so that was one of those side comments. I just wanted to make a comment on that. This happens to be, January, is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Um, so there is a such thing as slavery in the world, but it looks a lot different Um, So I just wanted to comment on that. But um, two weeks ago, we discussed what it looks like to be slaves of Christ, to be servants of the King of Kings. And then last week, we looked at this this idea that if we're slaves, we're also stewards. We've been entrusted with various resources that we are to use for the kingdom of God. And so um, today, what we're going to do is last week, we looked at stewards of our financial resources Today we're going to look at what it means to be a steward of the greatest treasure of all, which is the gospel. What does it look like to be a faithful steward of the gospel? And so we're going to look at Paul's motivation. We're going to look at at how he carried out his task. How did he fulfill his mission? And then we're going to see if there's any carryover to us. What does it look like for us to be faithful with this great treasure entrusted to us that is the gospel? So um, let let me pray for us before we dive into this text, um, just for clarity. Lord, I pray, Father, we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today. I pray, Father, that you would keep our minds sharp. um, Help us by your Spirit to understand the things that you have written down for us, Lord. Um, God, we want to benefit from your Scriptures. We want our minds to be enlightened to the truth. And God, we want our lives to be glorifying to you. And so this this is an important topic I just ask, God, that you would give us real um, understanding of your will for us, Lord, uh, both individually and and as a church. Father, we love you, and we commit these um, things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul's motivation. Um, What was it that that motivated Paul that kept him going? And I think we see that in this passage here in 1 Corinthians. So, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, he, he tells us that he views himself, Paul the Apostle viewed himself as a servant of Christ and as a steward of the mysteries of God. So to be a servant of Christ 
means many things, but in this context, he clarifies. What he means by that is he's not doing these things to please anyone else except for the one whom he serves. And so he's not interested in in pleasing people, and and he says this multiple times through the the New Testament epistles. So 1 Thessalonians 2.4 is an example of this. So Paul says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. So it's that same idea again. Paul is interested in pleasing God as he goes forth with the gospel. It's not to impress people, it's to please the Lord. Um, He says the same thing over in Galatians 1.10. He says, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So I don't think anybody could accuse the Apostle Paul of being a people pleaser. Um, frequently, he, he goes head to head with people, and, and that was kind of his personality, I think. But he is intent on carrying forth this gospel message. Um, and the reason for that is because of that interaction he had with Jesus. And you guys remember the story, right? It's in the book of Acts. Paul frequently cites this incident that he had, this event that he had with Jesus Christ, where Jesus came, blinding vision, voice from heaven, where Jesus tells him, from this point forward, you're following me. You're with me, Paul. And so no longer would he be persecuting the believers. He would now be carrying forth this message of the gospel. And from that point on, Paul views himself as a servant of Christ. He he is not doing this for himself. He's serving the Lord. Um, But he goes on to say that he is a steward of the mysteries of God. And, And last week, we talked a little bit about what that word means It is the idea of being entrusted to manage somebody else's stuff, their money, their possessions, the things that they have. And so what Paul is is sharing is that he has been entrusted with the message of the gospel. And so that that informs everything that he does. And so we see here in verse 2, his goal. What is his goal in all of this? Why is he working so hard you see it here, 1 Corinthians 4.2. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So last week we talked about the parable of the sneaky manager. And the sneaky manager was just terrible at his job. He was a, not a good steward of the things that were entrusted to him. In contrast to that, Paul wants to be found by his master as a good steward, one who has been trustworthy or faithful with what's been given to him. And, and his reason for that is found here in verse 5, right? He, he says, um, don't go on passing judgment before the time. Wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. That last phrase there, that was Paul's motivation is that his praise would come from God. And so we're going to come back to that point later, but, but this really motivated everything that Paul did. Elsewhere he talks about how his ambition was to be pleasing to the Lord. Um, he wanted to receive the Master's praise. So I think we can learn a lot from Paul as we consider how is it that he carried out this 
stewardship, this, this responsibility that was entrusted to him. And so throughout his life, it's clear. He is, he is motivated. He is willing to do these things. He is faithful in his task. So I, I think, I, I don't know if you guys experience this, but sometimes I look at the Apostle Paul and I'm like, wow, that guy was amazing. But I have no idea how I could live like that, right? It's, it's kind of intimidating and a little bit overwhelming and, and um, leaves you feeling like, well, I guess, I mean, he's, he's the Apostle Paul. I could never be like that. So what I want to do is this morning kind of talk through his strategy and then talk through how that applies to us. And so what we're going to see, if you have your bulletin, that might help you kind of track along here. We're going to see four different things that Paul did as part of his management of this stewardship that was entrusted to him, right, at this responsibility. And so there's a little outline there you can follow along. But the first thing that we see is that he is constantly proclaiming the good news. And this shows up everywhere he goes. He is, he's sharing the gospel. He's willing to do this. Um, one of the really interesting things is um, towards the end of his time, at least as recorded in Acts, he ends up going through a series of trials, um, he's, he's been put on trial. The, the Jews don't like what he's doing, and so they, they bring him forth, put him on trial. He ultimately appeals to Rome. But through the course of those trials, you find out a lot. And at one point, he is um, standing before King Agrippa, and he's sharing his conversion to faith in Christ. He's telling this story of how he had this vision from, from the Lord. And look at what it says, Acts 26, 19 through 23. This is his testimony. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring, both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and to great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So catch what's going on there. Paul is on trial for proclaiming the gospel. So what does he do? (laughs) While he's on trial, he proclaims the gospel some more, right? This is his defense. Yes, here's the gospel. This is what I'm going to continue proclaiming. He he basically doesn't back down at all. He continues proclaiming the gospel. Um, We've been going through the book of Romans, and in Romans 1, 15 and 16, he says these words. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's not ashamed of this. He's eager to do it. He's constantly proclaiming this message everywhere he goes. Um, You can also learn a lot about a person by the kind of prayer requests they give. Um, Please pray for dear Aunt Ruth or please pray for um, safety on my trip. Paul never prays for safety, really. That's not his concern. Um, in fact, in Ephesians, you, you hear what his prayer request is. Um, Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, says this, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf, that utterance 
may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, that's a little phrase there, that ambassador in chains thing. What he means is he's in prison while he's writing this. So again, Paul is is in prison for proclaiming the gospel. What does he pray? What is his prayer request? Not, oh, please, Lord, let me out of prison. No, it's, Lord, help me to be bold in proclaiming the gospel even here, right? So Paul doesn't back down at all, and and it's just amazing to see his, his perseverance in this. So the first thing that we see in kind of his strategy is he just, he was intent on speaking forth this message, right? Every opportunity he had, he was going to share the gospel. Um, A second thing that we see with Paul is that he was really interested in preserving sound doctrine. So he didn't want to just say something about Jesus. He wanted to make sure we got it correct. What is it that needs to be said? And so Throughout his ministry, he is defending sound doctrine. Um, One of the places that you see that is in Philippians, where Paul describes his own ministry. Um, He says, "I, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being imprisoned, has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Right? So his, his role was not just to speak the gospel, but also to defend it. And you see that throughout his ministry. Um, he, he was willing to go to prison for it, but he was also willing to confront people about it. And, and that's one of the interesting things about Paul is, you know, he had an amazing interaction of, of a lot of people around him that he interacted with and, and raised up leaders and trained and, and collaborated with. But when he needed to, he would call someone out. And so an example of that is in Galatians, where um, Galatians 2, verse 11 says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and draw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, and he's describing this kind of interaction that's going on, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles, not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? The context there is there is an issue that is threatening the gospel. And so Paul is willing to stand up in front of everyone and say, we've got to defend the truth of this message. So he's proclaiming it out there. He's defending it in here. Um, Another thing, a third thing that he did that he was so good at was including other people in this. And so um, we hear lots of examples of Paul and his traveling companions, and he's He's got Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Titus and Luke and and quite a few others. 
And I want you to see some of the advice that he gives to them. Um, if, if you're training up leaders, what, what are we in this for? Right? So look at what he writes to Timothy at one point. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is, is encouraging Timothy to do many of the same things that Paul himself did. Right? He, he wants Timothy to essentially be taking over for where he was. Um, we see the same thing with, with Titus. Titus is another young leader that Paul is raising up. Um, as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Again, same concern. Let's make sure we get the gospel right. You guys I'm entrusting. I want you to, to carry this message. And I want you to share it everywhere. I want you to continue proclaiming this. Um, 2 Timothy 2.2 2 is one more example. And this is one that many of us, I think, know. Where Paul says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is, up to this point we've seen, he's proclaiming the gospel, he's defending sound doctrine, he's involving other people, he's trying to raise up more leaders and, and, and include the rest of the church in this. And then the fourth thing that I would point out in his strategy is that he was willing to embrace hardship and suffering along the way. So lots of, lots of difficulty in Paul's time as an apostle, right? Um, he, he at one point describes how he'd been shipwrecked and he'd been stoned and he'd been beaten and, and imprisoned and all these different things that he went through. And when he speaks to Timothy, this, this young protege that he's, he's raising up to be a leader, look at what he says, 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. And so Paul has been entrusted with the gospel. He has the stewardship. And he's willing to do whatever he needs to do to keep going forth with this. So he's, he's proclaiming the gospel. He's working hard to preserve sound doctrine. He's involving others in the body of Christ. Um, when necessary, he's enduring hardship and suffering. He almost seems to view that as kind of central part of what he's doing. And so today we have the gospel. And the gospel has, has made it from Paul on through the Gentiles, down through the ages to us. And it's largely because of Paul and people like him that we have the gospel today. So each generation is responsible for taking this message and carrying it on 
and not neglecting it, not ignoring it, not forgetting it, and, and passing it on to others. And so, as we think about this, like I mentioned earlier, when I look at Paul, it can be kind of overwhelming, because I, I think, how can I do all of the things that Paul did, and is it even realistic, right? Like, am I ever going to be as cool as Paul? Paul who went forth as a missionary and did all of these amazing things and was really responsible for taking the gospel to the entire Roman Empire. How am I ever going to be like that? And so I think as we, as we consider the scriptures, there's good news in the midst of this. Here's my encouragement to you this morning, is that this is a group project. This is something that we as the church do together. Brian's laughing at me. Group project in a good sense, right? Sometimes group projects aren't great. But this is not something where one person is responsible for this amazing task. What Paul did with the gospel was to carry it forth and establish churches so that the church would be entrusted with the gospel and carry it forth. And so, as we look at these these items, I want to show you how this gets played out in the life of the church. So, the first one I want to look at is actually preserving sound doctrine. Paul's expectation is that elders would be appointed in each church who would be responsible for ensuring that sound doctrine took place. So, so look at Titus. Titus 1, 5 through 9. Paul speaking to Titus, he says, For this reason I left you, Titus, in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So here at Reliance, we have a board of elders and the primary responsibility of making sure that we don't go off the rails is that board of elders. And that includes the, the, pastor, the pastoral staff here. And so... It is true, right, that that you guys have a responsibility in this as well, right? So just like in the book of Acts, the Bereans, um, Acts chapter 17, the Bereans studied the scriptures. Paul shows up and and he shares the gospel and they're like, "Eh, I don't know about this guy. And so they go back home and they read through their Old Testament and they're like, yeah, sure enough, he's right. And they came back to hear more, right? You guys have a responsibility like that. And so if, if you hear false doctrine here, bring it up. But the day-to-day interactions, the day-to-day keeping of sound doctrine is up to the elders. It's, it's our responsibility to, to ensure that that continues to happen. But that's not all we do with the gospel, right? It's not just, let's make sure we don't mess it up, right? There's something more to that. Uh, a parable that Jesus told that's really helpful with this is the parable of the talents, And I think you guys are probably familiar with this, but I want to read it because I think it's helpful to hear it again. So it's Matthew 25, starts in verse 14. If you guys want to follow along, it says this. 
Um, the kingdom of heaven is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. A talent was a, a measurement of weight. It's how much of a precious metal you had. So it would be like a gold bar. right? So to one he gives five gold bars, and to another he gives two gold bars, and another he gives one gold bar. And he went on his journey. And immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought, and brought five more talents saying, Master, you entrusted me with five talents, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a very serious uh, parable at the end there especially. Um, have you ever thought about this particular parable in terms of how we handle the greatest treasure of all, which is the gospel? We, we have this amazing message that is entrusted to us. Paul talks about being a steward of the mysteries of God. So consider what that means for this parable. The goal of the last slave there was a pretty low standard. All he wanted to do was not lose it, right? He didn't, just didn't want to lose the treasure that was entrusted to him. And what Jesus says is that standard is too low. Jesus is looking for something more than that. Um, I think we've all at times met Christians who are um, really concerned about uh, making sure that their theology is just right, that they're clear on the gospel, that the truth of God's word is safe and secure with them. But if that's not also being passed on, right, then Jesus is not going to be pleased with that. Um, if we get to heaven and we say, Master, I was afraid of messing it up. So I went away and I hid the gospel so that no harm would come to it. And look, here it is. I still have it. It's not messed up. Look, I got the gospel right. I think that would be disappointing. 
Because gospel is good news, right? It's, it's not good news if you don't tell anybody. And so the message has to go forth. And so it's, it's not just sound doctrine that we're looking for. I think we as a church, we, we kind of lean towards the direction of let, let's make sure we have sound doctrine. But we also need to proclaim the gospel, right? Like that, that is part of what it means to have good news. And so that really needs to be part of how we think through this. Um, we, we don't know all the answers, right? And so when, when you're sharing the gospel, it's not like you can't say, I don't know if somebody asks a hard question. But we do need to be intent on sharing the gospel. And the way I think about this is, is how bad would it be to get to heaven and tell Jesus that you buried the gospel in a hole? Right? We're intended to pass this on. So what does that look like in the life of our church? I want, I want to kind of talk through that. Uh, we as a church are involved in many ways in proclaiming the gospel, and so I just want to talk through a couple of those. Um, some people serve in kids' ministry on a Sunday morning, and they're teaching the Word of God to little kids, and it's awesome. It's a great thing. Many of you are parents, and hopefully that's occurring at home as well, that you are teaching the good news to your children. Um, some people invite their friends to church so that they have the opportunity to hear that message here, in the context of a, a group of believers. Um, I know other people are sharing the gospel in their workplace. I know a few of the guys here were involved in a Bible study at, at their work, um, lunchtime Bible study. Um, some of you work for Christian nonprofit ministries, sharing the gospel in a whole bunch of different situations, um, and, and often in really um, appropriate ways where it meets a person's need. And it really hits, hits them where they're at. Um, I know a few people who have invent, intentionally gotten involved in certain sports activities so that they can meet people so that they have opportunities to share the gospel. Some of you are really good at getting to know your neighbors for similar reasons. Um, Lauren, uh, we, we heard from Lauren Wittavine this morning, planning on going back to Spain. Lauren was really creative over there in looking for ways to get to know people. Um, she joined a gym so that she could get to know people and, and meet Spanish people. Um, right now, Brandon and Lisa Gregory, we mentioned them in, in the prayer this morning. Um, they live in one of the most introverted places on the planet. Uh, it's, it's cold there, and people don't talk to each other. It it's kind of feels awkward to say hi to a stranger. It's inappropriate. You don't say hi to strangers. And so Brandon's looking for really creative ways to get to know people, and, and one of the things he's looking to do is get involved in a, in a group that plays board games together. Not because he, I mean, he likes playing board games, but, but the point is, how can I engage with people? Is there any inlet to where it's socially comfortable to spend a bunch of time with people? And so there are lots of different ways that, that our church is involved in proclaiming the gospel. One that we often overlook is this gathering here, right? So, so Paul understood the value of including the entire body of Christ in this mission that he was on. And so that's why he's constantly naming people's names. Romans 16 is like this long list of people's names. He understood that all of us are in this together. And one of the ways that we proclaim the gospel as a group is through this corporate gathering. When we preach from God's word, when we, when we hear the gospel together, when we consider, um, when we take communion, when we do all of these things together, we are 
corporately proclaiming the gospel. Um, I think it's important that we, we recognize in that that all of us are involved in this, right? In a lot of different ways. Um, we are all involved in this. It's kind of like, to borrow language from the pandemic, we are essential personnel. We are all essential personnel. Um, over at Yoke's grocery store, they have a T-shirt, and on the back it says, hashtag essential, right? If it weren't so cheesy, I would do that for Reliance. We would all have T-shirts that say, hashtag essential, because you are. Every person here, it's not just the people up on stage, like every one of us are essential personnel in the body of Christ. And as we think about our stewardship of the gospel in this corporate gathering, um, the way that we minister the gospel together, the way we participate in this thing together, all of us are essential. Um, and, I, and I'll just speak on that for a minute because I think over the last year or two with COVID and all this stuff, corporate gathering has been difficult. Is that a fair statement? It's, it's been difficult to maintain and manage corporate gatherings through, through COVID. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons for people to stay home, right? We've actually told people, if you're sick with COVID, please don't come. Please stay home. We, we don't want that passed around, just like we don't want the stomach flu passed around. Please stay home if you're sick. Um, if you're caring for someone who is very high risk, I know some in our, in our body have um, older family members that they're caring for, right? It may be appropriate for a time that you stay away so that you can care for that family member. But let me just point out the obvious, and that is that when you're not here, we're all missing out, right? We are missing out when, when the body of Christ is not here. And even though it's necessary for a time, I think we need to be careful that we don't get content with that, that it's okay to just not be part of, of fellowship. Um, Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, says that we're, we're to be speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in all aspects into Christ, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's the whole body that's involved in this thing. Um, I have a, a friend who's a pastor in another town, and a, and a few years ago, this was before COVID and all that, um, he and his church staff were trying to get a sense of how many people were in their church. Um, they knew that they were averaging about 380 on any given Sunday, but they were pretty sure that it was more than that. And so what they decided to do was for one month, for four weeks in a row, four Sundays in a row, they would um, have everybody that came to church fill out a little card with their, their name and their contact information, maybe one or two other questions, I don't know, but they, they wanted to get that every single Sunday for a month. And what they found out was in the course of a month, they saw 600 people, but their average weekly attendance was 380. Okay, so do the math. That means everybody's averaging, averaging two to three times a week or two to three times a month, Right. And that was the trend that they were seeing is that two to three times a month was the new normal for regular church attendance. Um, I think we've seen a little bit of that here, um, especially since COVID. And so let me just comment on that. Um, if you work for the school system, you know that if your students only show up 50% of the time, there's going to be lots of phone calls home, right? Right. 
I, we get phone calls from the attendance office, from the high school. They're like, where was your, where was your kid today, right? And so, yeah, Nathan's smiling. Um, so, yeah, so we need to be careful not to set the bar too low. Two to three times a month is not regular church attendance, okay? The expectation ought to be that we come every week, right? And some of you do, but just, just be aware of that, right? Like, regular church attendance needs to be consistent. And yes, we're in the middle of dealing with COVID, and there's, this is exceptional time, so, so this is a gentle encouragement, but um, an encouragement nonetheless that we're missing out when you're not here. Um, it's this corporate gathering, gathering is an important aspect of how we steward the gospel together, and we continue, continue carrying this message forth because it shows how we value the gospel in our lives. The fourth thing there that Paul did, embracing hardship and suffering along the way. Listen to what he tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. We are fortunately not suffering persecution the way Paul was. None of us that I'm aware of has been thrown in prison for sharing the gospel. But what kind of sacrifices are we willing to make for the gospel? I think that's something that we ought to ask ourselves from time to time. Am I willing to give financially? We talked a little bit about that last week. Am I willing to make some financial sacrifices to see the gospel go forth? Lauren is raising money. I'll just pick on her. Um, Lauren is raising money. She would love if a few people came alongside her and helped her in this task of proclaiming the gospel in Spain in an area that needs to hear it. Um, Are we willing to give of our time? Uh, we're always needing volunteers in kids' ministry. I'll just throw that one out there. But there are lots of other examples of where we can give of our time. Are we willing to sacrifice our reputation? Are, Are you willing to stand up for the gospel in your work environment or with your friends or with your family or neighbors? Those are the kinds of sacrifices that only make sense if we're motivated the, what, the way Paul was, if we're looking ahead to the future kingdom of God and how we can stand before the Lord one day as trustworthy servants. Uh, the Lord has empowered us by His Spirit. He has equipped us for every good work. He has provided all the resources that we need to faithfully serve Him. And many of us long to hear those words, like from that parable that Jesus told. We long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But not everybody's going to hear those words, are they? Um, Jesus, in his, in his parable, one of the things he says is that there will be some who hear, you wicked, lazy slave. So if we, need, if we hope to hear those words, and man... I don't know about you, but I do. I hope to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. If we hope to hear those, we need to be faithful in serving the Lord. And one way that we're faithful is with the gospel message. And many of you guys are 
right? So in some ways, it feels like preaching to the choir. Many of you are faithful in this stewardship of the gospel, but some probably need spurred along in this. And so that's really the point of this this three-week sermon series we've been doing here is, is a reminder, right, that he is the master, that we serve the king of kings, that one day we will give an account for how we have managed the things that are placed in our lives, right? So whether that's the, the money that you happen to have or whether that's the relationships, whether that's your children since you're a parent or maybe it's, it's your abilities, maybe it's the gospel message, did you use your time and your talent and your treasures in ways that will honor Christ, that will proclaim his goodness to everybody around you, right? Because we all long to hear those words. So one day we will stand before the Lord and, man, hopefully we hear those words. Hopefully our praise comes from the only one whose opinion of us matters, right? And hopefully one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my hope for you guys this morning. That's my hope as we go through this and we talk about what it means to be a slave and therefore a steward is that one day we will stand before the Lord as faithful stewards who have, who have done great things and invested well the, the five talents or the two talents or the one talent, whatever God has placed in your life, that we serve him well with these things. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you, Lord, 